Welcome to The Truth In This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. Thank you for tuning in to these conversations at the intersection of arts, culture, and community. Uh, do continue to share, subscribe, review this great podcast. It helps us get out there to the masses. It helps in the algorithm. It helps people discover these podcasts. We need you to help us get the word out there to the masses. You can find us on DC Radio. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. And my personal favorite, Spotify. Leave a review. Thanks. So, my next guest is we, we we've got a great one. Like I can't I can't even hide it. We got a great one uh, with over forty years of expertise, nearly fifty. If I'm being honest, my guest today is a Marconi and Billboard award-winning on-air personality and radio programmer. Their impressive career spans New York, Chicago, Atlanta, and of course Washington D.C. With notable contributions at Sirius XM Satellite Radio, my guest is a music historian, curator, podcast producer, and concert promoter. They excel in startup ventures, brand building, and marketing, particularly to the African-American market. Please welcome this industry giant, the great Max Myrick. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. The honor is all mine. I'm I mean, a big fan of the podcast. Well, thank you. I mean, there, there is, there is picture, there's photographic evidence, right? You know, at the sixth anniversary, I was there, you know, I was, I was just in the background and, um, and then the funny, the funny part about it, right. Just as far as the DC radio, like sixth anniversary sort of get together, which was just really, really cool. And again, thank you for that, that invite. Um, the picture that was taken, it happened to have my logo in the background on the, the ticker. Yeah. Was like, hell was yeah. <laughs> the timing was great. So. You know, it was uh, it's great to have you here. And, you know, to to kind of start off things, I'd like to I like to open it up in this this way. Um, I like to have the the guests, you know, introduce themselves. And, and the reason I, I do that, you know, there is something that's always lost in the sort of online bio and the artist statement. I like to hear like who the person is, how they introduce themselves, you know, to the community. So if you will, could you introduce yourself um, for the fine folks out there? And then we'll go into sort of the the sort of earlier bullet points. Sure. Uh, well, my name is Max Myrick. I am a uh, broadcaster, radio professional. Um, I have uh, been in this business professionally since 1976 so that's quite a few years i guess i'm on my 47th year now and uh i have built radios and operated radio stations all over the country some of the most notable ones are uh xm satellite radio created the real jazz channel the latin jazz channel and the uh Neo Soul Channel for that platform. Yeah. First started in 2000. I built, uh, I was signed on WVAZ in Chicago, V103, which is still the number one station in Chicago. I signed on WALR in Atlanta, which is still a top tier station on the number one, two, or three, somewhere like that. Uh, you know, so I've been building uh, enduring brands, uh, uh, you know, for most of my career. I've been lucky to. Uh, to work with some wonderful people and had some good mentors. And I've tried to pass that along as much as I can. And uh, I like to describe myself as, uh, you know, I hold people accountable, but I let them do their job and I try to be fair. And uh, most people think I'm a nice guy until they, you know, tell them not. <laughs> Thank you. That's, um, 
That's great. And I, and I, and I get that vibe. Um, and, and again, just, you know, like I said earlier, you know, you guys welcome me in as the, the outsider from up the street. So I definitely sort of appreciate that. And, you know, looking over, you know, the, the your bio and looking over your background, I was trying to pull out like, there's so much in here. I don't want this to be a two to three hour podcast. I'm trying to get this in like 40 minutes. Um, but with it, I, 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 I always like to, after the the introduction is get a sense of some of those like early points. Like, you know, I've mentioned and I, I had it actually, you know, brought up during this podcast, you know, where this interest in in being in front of people and sharing stories kind of presented itself at a very early age, like at five. You know, I was an MC and I had um a theater person actually point out like, no, you were in front of people. This this is kind of like what you're doing. You're just doing the next phase of that and, you know, sort of doing a podcast and presenting to people and talking with people. So for you, what were some of those those early things that maybe laid some of the foundation for how you approach your work or your early interest in radio or things of that nature? What led you on your path maybe from your youth? Well, I uh, grew, grew up in Toledo, Ohio. And uh, at the time I grew up, we didn't have black radio. In Toledo, we didn't have black radio until in Toledo until 1968. So um, I listened to being so close to Detroit and being so close to Canada. I listened to a station called CKLW, which was a monster signal. It covered Detroit, Ohio. I mean, they gave the <laughs> they gave the weather in Detroit, Toledo, Cleveland. And then they came back and gave it in Celsius for Canada. It was a monster. It's called the Big Eight. And everything about that station was just bigger than life. Yeah. And being so close to Detroit, uh, they had to be a little more soulful. So um, they played the requisite amount of Canadian music that was available. But, but the rest of it was all about Detroit, which was great for us because you know, they play a lot of black music. The DJs had a little, they were kind of hip. They were all white though, yeah. but they sounded like that. I didn't know they weren't black until I met um, Ted Richards one time and he looked like Clint Eastwood. I was like, wow, this is. <laughs> <laughs> but then later on, you know, in my family, my mother, you know, she loved uh, music. Yeah. And so music was all around all the time. And uh, I used to go to the music store on the weekends and get the latest records because they, they, that time, they had the tip sheets, you know, the radio station would put, would put out tip sheets and the tip sheets were like a list of the hot songs. Yeah. And so you look down to, and, and, and see if you had all the latest hits, you wanted to have all the latest hits. And then, you know, I have four sisters, so, you know, they like to dance. And, and then in the summertime, we used to go to Sandusky, Ohio, where I was actually born. Mm. And, um, stay with my grandmother and she uh you, ever, you saw that film uh, Lackawanna Blues yes she had a rooming and boarding house just like that all a cast of characters <laughs> and so in the evenings when she would uh finish all her day her business she would uh play her numbers yeah. you know because the policy it was a policy time there were no lotteries and part of her ritual was to you know get her some Kessler's whiskey, a little uh, Miller Miller High Life, as one of That was the potion. <laughs> and then she'd get her dream books, 
your prayer candles out. And then my job was to play the latest music to, to set the set the mood uh-huh. for all of this, this whole ritual that happened every night. But my cousin had a record store. So I, during the day, I would just spend all my time in the record store, you know, listening to music and watching what people were buying. And I was great. And so then I would bring all the hits home, you know, and my sisters would dance. My grandmother would do her rituals. So all of that combined. Yeah. Uh, and then later on in around 68, there was a record store in Toledo called Clark's Record Store, Clark's One Stop or something like that. And he he at that time, FM was not important. Nobody cared about FM. Right. So there was an FM signal that didn't have anything on it that was making money. So they gave him Saturdays for a couple of hours. He rented, he bartered the time and he broadcast live from his record store playing all the records. And everybody would go down there and buy the records and see him broadcasting live. You know, people were scrambling to get FM because there was no FM radios around. Right. So that be you know that's where we we were introduced to local radio, and then because it it was so popular and they started making so much money, they made it full time. And so all the jocks in Detroit uh, that couldn't get on WJLB or CHB or whatever stations that were on there, you know, everybody can't get on the radio. A lot of talented people out here, so they were, they heard about this station that was looking for people, so they came down, and so it was like the cream of the crop in terms of personalities and that was big personality time. So those those personalities were big like uh the ones on CKLW but they were all black and so they were speaking a different language that I could I could understand it. You right. know, I could it started to now I could start to tell the difference right away cuz and then you could see them. You know, yeah. cuz they'd be out. You know, and they and they're, oh that's that's uh that's that's Paul Brown. That's you know, that's they had names Charlie Chuck and you know, they were just and so I said, man, I want to do that. And so later on, I, you know, I, I did. I, I, I went to the Marine Corps. And uh, while I was in the Marines, we were out, out in, uh, uh, we were out in the Mediterranean for a long time, like, uh, you know, seven months. And, and, you know, you'd be out there 30 days at a time. And so they had a ship entertainment system. So I just hang out in there when we weren't doing Marine Corps stuff. Yeah. And uh, they let me, you know, run the system. And when I got back, I uh, enrolled in the University of Toledo. I uh, I got it first. I got, you know, I got a job at a club at a restaurant that was a nightclub because disco was hot then, around 70, 76. And so uh, I got, a, I got, a, I enrolled in the University of Toledo. They had a campus radio station. Yeah. And I met my lifelong friend, Michael Stratford, and he introduced me to a guy named Michael St. John, who was one of the jocks over there. He knew, that's an old school radio name, Michael, Michael St. John. <laughs> <laughs> he, he introduced me to Gary Outlaw, who was a music director. And uh, they, you know, they let me come over there as a part-time employee and I, I, you know, I, when I wasn't in school, I was living over there and, you know, in between that and work. And so um, one time I forgot to go to the club and they fired me. So they just gave me more time to hang out Pretty at the radio station. Eventually I got a full-time job and the rest is history. Wow. Thank and you. That, and that was the station I grew up listening to as a child. So it was even more thrilling. 
No, that's that's really that's really cool. Like when you have the the opportunity. My my dad's uh my dad's around, you know, same age, uh veteran as well, you know, so Marines and it's like, oh okay, yeah, now I'm getting it. Now I'm kinda I knew I was getting the vibe off of you. Now I'm like, oh <laughs> right, right. Lights getting due, Marine, got it. <laughs> um but yeah, it's it, it's great to to hear that that sort of trajectory and you know, kind of being around music in in different ways, being around sort of the curation in different ways. And, you know, one thing I'll throw out there, I, I do, in addition to this podcast, this interview podcast, I do one that I need to spend more time doing, but I do a movie review podcast. And the job I used to have at my home was pretty much you're reading the TV guide when those existed, right? And yeah. it's just like, oh, so Jimmy, what's good on, what's, what's, uh, what's, what's good tonight? tell us and it's just like almost like all right i'm responsible for the tv entertainment tonight and i need to make sure it's good so i'm reading <laughs> the tv guy feverishly and it's like all right channel 13 there's something good on there right so yeah that was um one of my jobs when we have those jobs at home especially when it comes to the entertainment and the rituals associated with it better make yeah. sure it's good <laughs> yeah you know you just keep doing it and doing it i, I remember i worked out a job working at a record store later on in my career and i loved when people would come in the store and I could size them up, you know, and at first I would just play something. And if they didn't react, you know, they'd come over and ask for something. I'd look at what they were looking at. They'd come over and ask for something. And then I'd base my next selections off of what they asked for. And pretty soon they'd be walking out of there with arms full of albums and 45s. Yeah. It was, you know, that's what, you know, that's, just, that's what was a great training. It's almost like a musical sommelier or what have you. It's like, yeah, so this will pair well with this other thing. Yeah. Oh, wearing a and cardigan. That's, <laughs> that's what a music director does for a radio station, yeah. basically. You play, you find out what people like, and you find stuff that fits that description. Yeah. And you just keep doing it. And if you keep delivering, giving people what they want, they'll, they'll listen longer. It's true. It's true. So when a... I want to move into to this piece a little bit. You you'd mentioned earlier, you know, being instrumental in in starting and laying a foundation for very successful and like from and iconic stations. You know, V one hundred three, XM satellite radio. Can you you know share some of those those in, those insights on what it takes to successfully launch and you know manage something that's ultimately super influential? And I, and I think you were touching on it a bit as far as kind of like essentially giving people what they're they're looking for and what they like but speak a bit on that yeah i my first uh radio station was wvoi in toledo it was actually in michigan right over the line uh and it was in a house in a cornfield across the street from a redneck bar it was such an interesting uh interesting place um and the reason that came about was klr the station that i worked for uh at, at around in the late in the late 70s they they two more stations came on black stations came on in detroit fm fm was starting to become important yeah JL, at that point jlb am where donnie simpson came from was still like the big gun in detroit but now all of a sudden drq signed on a company called amaturo signed on drq inner city signed on wlbs and uh the guy who owned the station, the Booth family, they uh, weren't going to let people, you know, take their franchise. So they took 
what a station they had and made it JLB FM. And so those three stations went at it and uh, eventually JLB ran them out of town. Um, And in the meantime, they changed the format of KLR and Toledo to country because they had a AM station that was country. And uh, they were planning on taking the KLR format and putting it on the AM station. But I got a call from a friend of mine named Dawn Spencer, who heard that there was a new station, a gospel station in Temperance, Michigan, an AM station that wanted to take the black format and put it on. And so I went out and I was planning on moving to Houston, Texas. A friend of mine named Steve Harris and some of the jocks from KLR had moved down there to a station called Love 94. And I said, well, if they can get a job down there, I can get a job down there. I probably couldn't. I was terrible, but I didn't know. So I had <laughs> my mind, you know, so I was working all summer. I saved up. I was working at a, at a, a record store and U-Haul, you know, saving up my money. And I was, I was out. And so I went out there. I talked to this guy named Paul Ploner. And he convinced me to stay. He said, if you stay 90 days uh, and help me with this, I will pay your way to Houston if it doesn't work out. And I will give you uh, $180 a week, which was, you know, more than I was making. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) And so I said, well, I'll just add that 180 to what I'm, you know, and uh, I'll have more when I get to Houston. Absolutely. I called KLR and asked them what they were doing with all those records they had. And they said, you can come and get them. So I did. I went and got my car and I went out there and got all those records. I drove back over to Michigan and I started assembling that radio station. At first, we were uh, only uh, we only played black music at night and we played uh, all these religious shows. I mean, they were crazy. They were like, you know, they were just, you know, one guy had to have a bodyguard. It was just craziness, but they paid on time. And so. And eventually, you know, as we went along, we phased them out. It was owned by a company called J-Corps Communications. That's why they were gospel. Mm. And Terry Jacobs was Terry Jacobs. Terry Jacobs' company eventually became Clear Channel, and Clear uh-huh. Channel eventually became iHeart. But that was the beginning. He only had three little radio stations at the time. And they were, and they were trying to take that company public, which they eventually did. And so I started building the radio station with a guy named Donnie Walker. And uh, we start, we put it together and uh, then we started hiring people and we start, you know, playing music. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was just playing, you know, playing my favorites. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I was a DJ too. So I was in the streets. I had a sense of what people wanted to hear, but I was all over the place. And the record companies, so we became reporters. And once you become reporters, you affect the charts. Right. And when you affect the charts, then you record companies become interested in you. And then they send their reps down to get try to convince you to play their records. And so then I was, you know, I was trying to be buddies with everybody. And so I was playing everybody's records. And so finally I got a call from another lifelong friend, the late Steve Harris. And he said, Stop letting those people actually it was a guy named Walt Baby Love. 
who called who called me and said, "Stop letting those people take advantage of you." And uh, and then he said, "I'm going to have this guy named Steve Harris call you." And then Steve took me through the fundamentals of programming and how to set up clocks and rotations and how to have some discipline. And then, you know, I wasn't so generous. <laughs> and uh, the station started sounding more consistent. And I learned these things, you know, I, you know, I learned, I made mistakes, I learned, I made mistakes. And after, you know, after about four years, I knew what I was doing for, for the most part. Yeah. You know? And so, um, that led to another, you know, another station, another station. And then I, I moved down to, um, I went to Cincinnati to do mornings. And then I moved down to uh, put a station on in South Carolina, Z104. Um, and that went up to number one. And then, you know, I was pretty feeling pretty good now. I think I know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, I went, but they were bankrupt. So I had, it was a mess. So I went to uh, I went to Richmond, Virginia, yeah. and put on the first satellite radio station in the United States. Really? In 1988, yeah. And uh, so that was, you know, that's kind of set the stage for my thinking about satellite radio in 1988, because we didn't put we didn't put uh, I didn't go to XM satellite radio to 2000, so it was a long time. But we were, you know, already on that technology. So I was really, you know, thinking about the future. And I went from uh, uh, from there to Cleveland for a little while. I was about to quit. I, I couldn't take it. I was living in like the the transient hotel by the racetrack. You know, at night it was like a lot of moaning and groaning. <laughs> and uh, I was I was like, I can't. This is. I, I'm going to give me a job doing regular stuff, you know. But but what was what was that like in in that moment where because well you know. I had I had children I had a wife you know children they moved with me to Cincinnati ah. they moved with me to South Carolina one of my kids was born in South Carolina the rest of them were born in Ohio so um, but my wife was like uh, no we. We need some stability, so she moved back to Cincinnati, and uh, and there she's still there now. You know, uh, we're not together, but <clears throat> so you know, I I had responsibilities. I was trying to have this career and trying to stay married, you know, and be there for my kids as much as I could. It was hard to get home, you know. It was, you know, it was real sad. It was tough on me. I cried a lot, you know, when they didn't see me, and so. Um, then I got a chance to go to Atlanta in 1990 and put a new station on another one called WALR. And that was a great station. It was called Love Songs and a Touch of Jazz. It was like a, it was the smoothest station ever. And it was, uh, in the CNN center. We had resources for the first time. I mean, we were just... I was like, oh, I saw a whole nother world, a whole nother light that I hadn't seen before. And prior to going to Atlanta and uh, Cleveland, though, I st made a stop in, uh, no, yeah, I made, a, I made a stop in Shreveport, Louisiana. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know what year they were in, but <laughs> that was 1988. Yeah. 
and then I went to Chicago from there. Um, and then they fired me in Chicago the first time at V103 when we I signed helped sign the station on yeah. 1988. And then uh, then they fired me because I was terrible on the air. I wasn't terrible, but I was terrible for them. Yeah. Big personality market. Everybody can't do that. And uh, that's not my stick. So, um, but anyway, I ended up in Atlanta. I put that station on. It did well. Still doing well. Then I got fired again because they got new owners. Mm. And the guy they brought in to oversee that and I, um, no, we didn't see eye to eye. And I wasn't going to uh, Tim Scott myself, you know. So um, I went and put another station on in Pensacola, Florida. And this station was a huge station. It was like 100,000 watts. It was, you could hear it in Pensacola. You could hear it all, all the way to Louisiana. Oh, wow. It was a beast. They didn't even have a local phone number. Everything was 800. It was a monster. We number, we went to number one in Mobile and, and Pensacola, like one 30-day period. We just, it was a monster. Wow. Then um, I got a call to come back to Chicago. And uh, I was came back as music director which is what I wanted to do the first time I was there. Right. You know, being on the air was the only way I could get up there. And my dream had always been to work in Chicago and program a number one station in Chicago. That was my dream from KLR days. I always wanted to do that. So this was my opportunity, uh, you know, since I, since, the, since I didn't quit and I went on to Atlanta and Pensacola, this, and I, I felt vindicated. So I went to Chicago and the program director quit like a year in and then we were launching a hip-hop station too so i had to do both of them for a little while and the station went to number one in chicago i cried tears in front of the staff they didn't know what was wrong with me but it was my dream it's, it's, so uh it stayed number one number two for the whole eight years i was up there and it's still it's still the number one station in chicago right now and so I left there and went to, uh, they asked me if, uh, you know, things were changing, consolidation. I didn't like the direction. You know, the guy wanted me to change the number one station. Mm. And I asked him, if uh, if I change the station, sure. am I going to be like number one plus? Because my contract says uh, get paid on <laughs> rank. <laughs> am I going to get a bump? What's... He was like, well, no, we just want you to, you know, play ball i'm like well i'm not playing ball yeah and so he said well then he got mad and told me i should kiss be kissing his butt because he was in that position and i said white boy <laughs> that is a sensation you will never experience <laughs> so i at that point i started you know looking at other options yeah. and uh xm satellite radio was hiring and my friend steve harris was trying to get that job as the vice president of program. So I waited until he got the job. And then I went and talked to them and they didn't have anything in my, I had just won a, a Marconi award that year too. So that didn't hurt. And so I had, uh, they asked me if there's anything else I liked. And I said, I love jazz. And they said, well, you think you could build a jazz radio station? I said, sure, I can build a jazz radio station. So 
I, that's what I did. I just, I, I remember as a kid growing up listening to a station in Detroit called WJZZ. It was the greatest jazz station that ever was. And so I just built uh, real jazz around that station, that idea. It was just a regular radio station sure. with the same imaging that a regular radio station has, but it did what it, you know, it was cool. It was, it was jazz stuff. And it would just happen to play jazz. Yeah. And people liked it. And, you know, pretty soon, pretty soon they had a million listeners. And, you know, and I stayed there for uh, eight years. And then they uh, they got, there was consolidation. And I moved to Nashville. And they didn't want me in Nashville. And so they found somebody to take my place who's still there. And uh, I uh, then... Uh, Came back to D.C. and ran WHUR for about four years. Yeah. We, you know, top-tier station there. Club, club, uh, Heritage Station, the inventor of the... I was honored to work there. Inventor of the Quiet Storm format, you know, legendary station. Yeah. Then uh, they asked me to... Uh, the city the city asked me to build them a station. And here we go again. I just... Uh, you know, I built them a station called DC Radio, and I've been doing that for the last six years. You know, in between doing other things, you know, on the side. I, I, I love it. I love how, see, what I do as I'm going through this is like, I like to let the person cook. You know, like, you've knocked out like four of my other questions. <laughs> so shout out to you. You make my job easier. But um, yeah, let's let's talk a bit about, about DC Radio. I mean, that's you know, one of the ways that I became aware of you and then, you know, in sort of getting us to this point, like, you know, what, I guess, in looking at DC radio and sort of this market specifically, this, this DC, the DMV, you know, this whole area, what, what are some of the, I guess, some of the thinking that goes into who fits within it? Who fits within the format? Because there's 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 music, there's podcasting, there's different personalities, um, and you know, it, it, I'm being one of them on there. I guess I have to definitely ask. But what what makes someone fit within it? And what what were your what was your aim with DC Radio? Well, I mean, like all stations, you want uh, to have some kind of cohesiveness. The idea of DC Radio in the, originally was to be it was a partnership between the city and HUR. Yeah. HUR has uh, four uh, frequencies on their signal. And so we leased the HD4 signal. And it was just going to be all talk. Yeah. And then the director at the time, Angie Gates, had some other ideas. So she hired me and uh, we try to make it, uh, you know, give it some, some depth. So we started just you know, trying to find people who were talented and give them a shot. Yeah. Find people who were serious too, because a lot of people came and they wanted to do it, and then they did it a couple of days, a couple of times, and they were like, "This is work. I don't want to do this." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's work, but you're learning. You got a platform. Uh, you're getting your content out there. Uh, you know, you're building consistency. We put your content on every streaming platform, you know, it's associated with other great content. Uh, and so we just started doing that. We created a uh, pitch session every six months 
and we started getting uh, people uh, coming in, giving us pitches for their shows. And if they seemed serious enough and they had great ideas, we'd give them a shot. Yeah. And they all turned out to be uh, some of the people, some of the taste, uh, some of the, because we don't pay, the, we don't pay for content. Right. So uh, some of the people have been with us the whole six years. They just continue to, you know, embrace the platform and we continue to love you know having them on and uh uh it's just you know we just have really we have really good there's some really talented people in this area who just need an opportunity you know radio is not going to give them one yeah. uh, the internet is another space and some of them have internet things going on too there's nothing wrong with that because right. uh, in fact that's where the future is coming from the internet the companies aren't developing people they're just finding out who's got the most likes and views and trying to sign them up and they think that's gonna create the next you know thing and it, and it may or may not it worked for the breakfast club um because i've never heard their radio show but they've walked they took that breakfast online breakfast club right into the radio hall of fame so you know and and that's that's one of the things that definitely you know want to hear hear more about is sort sort of so, and, and I'm coming from there today, actually, I'm, I'm teaching a group of high school seniors podcasting. I've been doing it yeah. for about 15 years. So just passing it along and trying to like, you know, help them realize, you know, their interest and, you know, learn from my mistakes, as I put it. Yeah. And because I made all of them. And, um, and I think in it, in, in pre preparing lessons and going through this sort of process of building out a class, you see like sort of this, this focus of we need to have these personalities that may not have sort of the wherewithal, but to your point, they have all of these likes and they have this, but it's like, that doesn't mean that they're a podcaster. They might be a personality in this sort of context. Yeah. But not everyone has the stamina or even in, in doing this, like I don't have a problem with doing a bunch of podcasts. Yeah, I've yeah. never had, like I can just, well, you know. Stamina is a good word, consistency, stamina. I mean, radio is just a distribution platform. And what makes it work is consistency, just repetition, 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 repetition. Uh, and you build a relationship with the audience based on that content. And uh, now you have to, now it's expanded. So you now you have to engage with that audience on other platforms because the audience has so many options. Right. But, the, but the online thing is just such an opportunity because you don't have any barriers. Right. You can cuss all you want. <laughs> you can, you know, say you can say whatever you want to say. There's no FCC to stop you. You can build your base. You just have to. It takes work. You just have to keep, you know, find something that you think uh, people might be interested in or that you're interested in. Find mm -hmm. an audience for it and engage with that audience and build that audience. You know, if it's good, they'll share it with other people. And you just keep going, going, going. And then one day, uh, it will be where you dreamed it would be. You just have to, you can't stop. You, if that's what you want to do, that's the place to do it before they shut it down. You know, with the politics being the way they are, yeah. they don't want people to have that kind of voice and power. So, you, you know, now while that window's open, I would, if I were somebody jumping in this business, that's where I would go. 100%. You, it's going to be hard to get in. You know, you can't get into commercial radio. It's hard. They're, uh, you know, they own everything. Where are you going to go? You know, and, and the stuff that 
the lo- they're very little local. I mean, there's very, very few stations like HUR, which is black owned and operated. Yeah. It's its own thing. Everything else is owned by corporations. And, you know, there's all kinds of things going on there. And then they have syndication and they want to put their syndication on all this. So there's very little opportunities. You know, there are very little independent, very few independent stations. And there's so the, the Internet gives you a chance. I mean, I, I, I love during uh, COVID that so many people uh, took advantage of that. Country One is my favorite person. He turned those little skits into like $20 million. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just he just consistently came up with great content that people started sharing and uh, it just grew and grew and grew into a Netflix special movies and all kinds of stuff. You know, you do the same thing. Anybody can do that if you got good content. Now, if you got crappy content, you know, crap in, crap out. And that's the thing I try to, to to impress upon, like, you know, my students or anyone that's just interested in it. Like, you know, folks who pick my brain, ask me to, you know, chat with them. And, you know, I definitely throw the stamina thing out there. But also I, I am like, look, you know, are you doing test recordings? Let's get these reps in, like really figure out what it is, what's your thing. Um, and, and and know that it's not the finalized thing, you know, but really what's your idea and can you grow from it? So you know, when I talk to folks, I'm like, is it 10 episodes? Is it 12? Is it weekly? Is it a limited series? Things of that nature. And really thinking strategically about it because, you know, being in doing all of the different parts of this and kind of not knowing what I'm doing and learning over this decade and a half, it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, you, this would be a production nightmare if you do it like this or why would someone want to listen to you talk about a movie for for 70 minutes or what have you? Your actual podcast is longer than the movie and, and things of that nature. People's attention spans are short, too. Yeah. So you have to have content that can be reduced to sound like two, you know, minute and a half to draw people to the longer content. I'll give you a good example. Sure. Uh, Cat Williams was on uh, Club Shay Shay recently, speaking <laughs> his truth. And, uh, I have not seen the whole three hours. But you definitely see pieces of it. I've seen pieces of it. Right? Yeah. Same thing. You gotta if you can get in if you can get compelling pieces, yeah, you can draw people to the the the, the longer content and you can make money. That's yeah. another opportunity with the internet. You can make money if you got if you have if you have viewers, clicks enough, you know, you have the metrics, advertisers will pay to get in front of those people. Absolutely. You know, this episode is brought to you by some soda. I don't know, you know, and, and yeah, they just they, the, the commercials just play. You'll be in the middle of a great moment in that clip and you just have to wait that 15 seconds. Well, <laughs> and, and that's and that's the thing. Like, I, I think you, you you hit it. You, you keyed in on something very, very important um, earlier. And you were talking about sort of, you know, you know, H.U.R. And, and sort of like the the base is there, like black owned black operated and you know as i'm doing this i've had some of those offers to be a part of the the hive mind and and so on and i rather do what i do i like to have this sort of independence and I'll, i'll give you an example of what i mean you know as i'm doing this podcast it grew specifically out of baltimore right yeah 
you know, I was just like, okay, I want to do this. No one's really doing it or doing it in this way. And then naturally, I'm like, what about DC? What about Philly? What about these other cities that I'm interested in? And I see similarities in mm -hmm. how they're discussed. And when I specifically with Washington, Washington, DC and with Philadelphia, I connect with, you know, sort of an outlet there like mm. a local radio outlet. Hey, I got a bunch of content that's related to your city. Would you want to put this out there? And generally the answer is like, hell yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Whereas in some markets, it's like, oh, well, we don't know if you're big enough. Maybe my local market. We don't right. know if you're the person. And I'm like, tell me more about what you mean by that. So it's like these other cities that I'm not in, they definitely have my stuff out there because they see sort of the value attached right. to it and what it might represent. And for me, if I weren't independent, if I weren't able just to kind of do it my own way, mm -hmm. I, I've been told, why are you leaving Baltimore? Why are you going into other cities? I was mm -hmm. like, I don't want to. Because right. where my interests lie, like I'm going to Detroit and I'm going to Richmond this year to do this same sort of series because mm -hmm. that's where my mind and where my heart is at in right. extending out this conversation and hit those cities that are quote unquote black cities and talking to the artists that... That's the beauty of... Uh being independent you know you don't have to worry about gatekeepers 100 and and you know when i get told point like well i don't know if we can fund that because i was like i'll find a funder and and literally i get very you know because I, I sit down and i talk to certain people because apparently i'm a scary black man but i'm like look you know i'm still going to do it so you can either be a part of it or not it's very very simple and those same people will come back to you hey hey buddy 100%. <laughs> they had to say, hey, you want to come over here to Chicago station? <laughs> you want to come back? <laughs> um, so I got I got one last real question before I go into these rapid fire questions for you. And okay. in the last real question, because in, in doing sort of the trajectory, right, there is, you know, I see curation. I see sort of the building out of stations and building out of formats and being in various communities, covering various genres too. What would you say is the sort of like, largest change or shift that you've seen over the last few years in terms of, you know, building out um, playlists, building out sort of like what what's the sort of programming that we have here or even, you know, artist exposure. You know, you, you hear about like radio used to be we're breaking we're breaking musicians on the radio. Now it's Spotify or now it's yeah. some TikTok clip. W what is the biggest change? What advice would you give for an artist seeking to get featured on a station? Well, I would once again look at social media and the internet if i was an artist uh and not worry about radio airplay they're gonna they're following social media now what happened was in um the late 90s early 2000s consolidation came came along bill clinton uh, under his administration allowed these big corporations to buy as many radio stations as they mm. as they wanted to and so then those radio stations, those companies had to figure out what to do with all of these stations. And so they began consolidating them. And uh, then they started creating syndication to put on all of these stations because they want all of these stations to sound the same. You used to be able to go to a market and that market would sound like that market. Chicago would sound like Chicago. D.C. would sound like D.C. Memphis would sound like Memphis. You know, every station, every city you would go into would sound like that city. Atlanta, you know, same thing. Now, everything sounds the same. You don't know what city you're in. Right. No. 
every show is on the same it's steve harvey's on every you know every every uh uh iheart station that urban station that they own for the most part uh you know ricky smiley is on every uh um uh urban one station that they own that makes sense you know it's just they've so that you know they they're programming the same music the record companies and the and the and live nation have gotten together and so that that pool of music and artists has been reduced uh because they make money off of it in so many ways but specifically concert touring on these I mean, crazy ticket prices but it's the same you know if you're in a, if you're not in that loop it's hard to you know it's hard to get in but there are artists out there that are breaking on social media. October London was is a great example. He, uh, the guy, sounds like Marvin Gaye. Uh, it's great music. I mean, it's you know, uh, but he broke on. He broke on social media. There's a new song out called "Can I Call You Rose." I don't know who it's by. It's a group, I think, and that run is breaking big. That. Uh, uh, uh that song uh girls are players too i don't know what the name of that tune is but that, you know the, uh, uh, can i call you rose that's uh the sacred souls i heard that recently yeah. they're kind of like a uh uh what was that young lady sharon Dap? they're like the dap kings or something like that yes sharon and Dap yeah, yeah. yeah that song is killing and so now you know they're about to blow up but that was because they you know put their stuff out there you know tiny desk concert I don't know what it's evolved to. I'm not really happy with the direction it's going in right now with all of this um, um, juvenile in them on there, but cussing and stuff. I, I, I'm just not with all that cussing on the radio. Yeah. If I want to hear that, um, I, you know, I can just listen to it. Yeah. Or else, I, you know, I just, when I'm ready for that cussing, I just go listen to the cussing. But that's not what I tune in for. But I'm, you know, 66 years old, so, you know, they ain't talking to me. But <laughs> I cuss, you know, I'm trying not to cuss now. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I just don't want to hear it. That. <laughs> I just don't want to hear it. So, you know, that is what uh, is the challenge. Yeah. But, you know, once again, the Internet and then there's the, what the Internet gives you is the whole world. You know, artists are like, oh, I want to be on the charts. I want to be number one in the U.S. I want to be on my local station. I got, I know friends that have songs in Poland. They're like Michael Jackson over there. They're huge. They're like huge. And I think, I think that's a part of the the sort of challenge where. You know, and, and I'm looking at it purely from like a, a podcast and maybe a personality perspective of, yeah, you have the whole world, but it's like, are you speaking to the whole world? Or are you speaking to a very niche thing? And then having that is that loyal 100, 1000, whatever that might look like, because that turns into what your strategy is, right? Of I'm going for everyone, then you only yeah. have limited resources as to how you're going to do it. And it could be this thing of the sort of curse of having so much availability and the internet being so open that- Well, you target, you, 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 our strategy, once I started getting research and, and you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend on research and find, you know, all the resources, I found out that you uh, target 
narrow, but you market wide. Mm. And because you always have to replenish your audience because they have so many audience, you, you know, they have so many options. So you target narrow, whoever it is that you're going after, but you market wide because you never know who's going to be, who's going to like your stuff. I'm finding out uh, how much white people like Southern Soul through TikTok. King James, that dude, he is killing it. He is like the king. I mean, if, if when 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 these white promoters figure out the Southern Soul is as big as it is, uh, it's going to be they're going to be huge. So those black promoters are going to be in trouble. Unfortunately, yeah. But right now we have it to ourselves. So you know, we had hip hop to ourselves too. Look, that's that's almost a whole nother podcast right there with those thoughts on that, because uh, I don't know, like I'm one of those and because I'm becoming an old man, I guess. And because uh, I'm creeping, creeping up there where, you know, I'm like, man, 2010s had the best rap music. And, and people look at me and like, bro, what are you talking about? But I'm just like, listen to this and listen to how similar it is or even applying this same thing uh, like about podcasters. I look at, you know, those video clips when they're, they're breaking sort of, yeah, we had this cool clip. I'm like, why do y'all have the same like gear? I was like, yeah. they're sponsored by, you know, Rode or what have you. I was like, yeah. I have really good gear and I don't see any of them with the gear that I have. My yeah. gear is boom. It's very popular gear, but I don't see it in these videos. So it's like kind of the, I guess, with the, 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 the organizations, the companies, the sort of syndication thing. It's like, all this is the same. And I'll, I'll comment on one last thing before we wrap up on this portion and go into the, the rapid fire. It, you know, my love for radio came with loving sort of my local station, like 92Q generally. And, you know, because I'm a Morgan State alum, you know, definitely WEAA. And mm -hmm. um, you, you'll, you'll like this. Initially, um, I didn't like jazz music. I was like, man, turn this off. Where's the rap music? And my dad was like, you'll eventually get it. And now all of the records I have in my house are jazz records. A lot of Charles. Go for your dad. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's the it's the foundation of all this music. Yeah. It's the foundation of every jazz and blues are the foundation of all American music. If it doesn't have that in it, it's not really good music. And and this is and this is sort of that challenge where it, it's it's like it's lacking something. And I think you're right. It's it's lacking whatever, because when I when I think of jazz, when I think of blues music I, I i think of a feeling yes it's something that hits and some of these things whether it be the sort of auto correction whether it be all of these different things that just feel more robotic and it yeah. feels uh what's the word um very processed yes it's like i i rather when i hear that when i hear that needle drop and that sort of initial feedback we're screwed like this yeah. is this is gonna hit that uh, uh, it's got to have that feeling in it, you know. That a lot of the '80s music didn't transfer, yeah, because it was all electronic. Yeah, you know, it didn't, it didn't, didn't make it because it was all they were just using drum machines, and you know, it sounds like the '80s. It doesn't even, you know. But a lot of the music made in the '70s, you can listen to that forever. That's the truth. Because it was organic. It was made in the studio. It was live musicians. Now hip hop has uh, has helped uh, bridge generations by sampling that music, which is great. Yeah. A lot of young people think that those are the original versions, so you know, 
there's a bit of education that needs to happen. <laughs> but uh, you know. It's, it's like you were saying earlier. It's it's great to hear the the like uh, ladies is because like you can hear the sample of the thing that was sampled. I was like, yeah, this is just watered down. <laughs> yeah, I, when I hear a lot of hip hop, the first thing I hear is the sample. Right. First thing I oh oh that's the Isley Brothers or that's you know that's uh you know that's Voice to Atlantis right there. What what do we do? what? <laughs> yeah. But now they're sampling the samples, and it. It's it's a thing of you're you're looking for it where I, I forget what it was. It was some it was some song I was listening to and they had this uh, sample roulette. And mm -hmm. it's like, which one is it? Are you gonna get the actual one that you like or right. it's not as good? Oh, that's a good that's a good show. I like that. <laughs> yeah, somebody should do that for radio. You should do that. <laughs> I might have to do that. <laughs> you should. I've been thinking. I've been trying to get somebody. I, I don't have time. I want to do it, but I just don't have time to do it. I, you know, there's a website called Who Sampled. Yeah. And it shows you who sampled everything. But but most people, if you could do the sample roulette, uh, people would love that because they don't know. They would be like, what? And it would help move that. It would help 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 establish bridges between the, that content. I heard Missy Elliott do a uh, production on Tweet where she took a Louis Armstrong uh version of starlight yeah. and mixed it into the song when i heard the record i was like is that lewis armstrong <laughs> i heard i was like is that lewis i didn't even hear a tweet i was like is that lewis armstrong i was obsessed <laughs> starlight it was it was no not starlight stardust stardust yes hoagie carmichael yes yeah. i was like what that was genius I, I took the note down, so you know you might be you might be getting a file from me sooner than later. But we'll, yeah, you can do that. I, we would love to have that. We would love for it to originate on DC radio too. You know, lock <laughs> that down. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Okay. Um, so in these these final moments, I want to I want to throw some um, rapid fire questions your way, and um, the, the way that I like these to go is you know whatever the the first answer that comes to your mind. It's like don't overthink it. You know, some people are like, mm, what color do I like? You know, well, if it was, and I'm like, just if you like blue, just say you like blue, bro. You know, it's that. All right. Black. <laughs> so here's the first one. Yeah. What is um like a memorable concert that you've attended? Like just one concert that comes to mind. You think of like attending a concert. Michael Jackson in Wembley in London. Nice. Nice. It's good. It's good pull. Uh, I'm a little jealous. Uh as a as a music historian, because you know obviously that's that's there. I'm I'm seeing the background. I'm looking at records and things of that nature. Uh, what era of music do you find to be the most fascinating? Seventies. All right. Um, top three jazz musicians. Uh, Louis Armstrong. Uh, my good friend Wynton Marcellus. Uh, he's just a genius. I just love him as a personality and a great. Uh, Great trumpeter, but uh, Louis Armstrong, Marcellus, I love Monk. I love uh, Duke Ellington. Yeah, you know, there's so many more. I mean, Miles. Yeah. Everybody's going to say Miles. Um, I mean, there's so there's so many. I, you know, I'm working at uh, Real Jazz and building that. Yeah. I had to learn this music. So for eight years, that's all I listened to. I don't know what was going on on other stations. I was just, you know, and I was in New York, 
as a jazz at Lincoln Center, so I was immersed in it. Yeah. And I, I could, you know, be, and I created a program called uh, In the Swing Seat, where we identified artists by just by their sound. Yeah. You know, so a lot of times I'm listening to music and I hear a couple notes and I know who it is, just like a voice. Yeah. Instruments just like a voice. It's their voice. It's their, their they communicate to the language of music. So, yeah, that's it. I mean, there's so many. I mean, Coltrane. Yeah, it's, the jazz police come for you if you don't sing Coltrane. The jazz police come for oh, you. Oh, yeah, well, they've come for me many times, and I'm, you know, <laughs> I told them to go to hell. <laughs> that's great. All right, this is this is the last one I got for you. Um, so, you know, as I was saying, like, early on, you know, we always try to throw in a bit more. Um, so what, what's a, like a non music interest that you have? Like some people are like, man, I like to garden. I'm really into cooking. What have you, what is like a non music interest that you, you really are, you know, that's a big thing for you. Travel. Okay. I love traveling. I've been traveling since I was 17. I was in the Marine Corps. So when I was 17, I went in the Marine Corps. Yeah. So I began traveling and then I was overseas. I traveled all over Europe uh, when before I was, you know, it, it, when I got eight, when I was before I was 19, I was I had traveled to like all of Europe. And so I didn't know where I was when I was over there because I was so young. <laughs> but I learned a lot. I got some experiences and I went back as I got older to those same places to see it as it with different eyes. And I love to travel. My favorite place now is Spain and um, Spain and uh, Portugal. I love Lisbon. I love Lisbon. I love uh, all the Moorish places in in Spain, Barcelona. I went last year, um, or two years ago. I went to all the Moorish places: Madrid, Toledo, Cordoba, uh, Granada. Uh, I can't think of all of them right now, uh, but I went to all the places where the Moors were, because uh, you know they ruled Spain from seven eleven to fourteen ninety two, yeah. and then so I went to all of those places because I wanted to be in that space, I wanted to feel those vibrations, and I was just so blown away at the scale of which they created, yeah. and and uh, I was like I was just I it just I I was I, I have to go back I. I, it was just so much. It was so powerful. Uh, so, you know, my I, I did this. I, I've done like uh, uh, the the National Geographic genome, <laughs> the, the F, Ant, 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 Ancestry.com, the 23andMe, yeah. and then AfricanAncestry.com. And all the other ones put us, you know, my family in Ghana and Wales. Yeah. In the European side and then the but the African ancestry put us in, of course, Ghana, but they also put us in Moorish Spain and Portugal. Uh-huh. So I had to go get those vibrations back. So I'm thinking about moving there. I'm really thinking about moving. I did one of them. I, I did. I think it was maybe 23 and me. I'm not quite sure. But some of the things that were popping up, I was like, look, it was just like Egypt. I was like, where? It's like really? That's like for yeah. real? Yeah, they they just came straight across through the straits. Yeah, on rolling. I mean, I just gotta get this beard a little bit longer, and I can actually try to claim it. I'll just start like really playing the character. It's like, is that a? Why are you wearing this hat? <laughs> what are you doing, bro? I'm gonna have yeah. a whole aesthetic. 
our history has been, uh, you know, sheltered from us, uh, but it's coming to light. So yeah. we're finding out a lot of things. Yeah. I, and, and, and thank you. Um, I think you're right. And thank you for this, this, this conversation. This has been, um, this has been good. Like I'm sitting here and I, I have things that I've written down that I'm going to dive into deeper after this. So this has been um, truly a treat, truly a pleasure to um, talk to you for this time. And um, I want to close out. If you have any like plugs or shameless plugs to put in real quick in these uh, final moments, um, I want to, again, thank you. And the floor is yours. If you have anything you want to plug in these final moments. Well, I uh, appreciate you taking the time to interview me. It's been an honor. Uh, I really love your show, and uh, I encourage people to tune in to DC Radio every day at 4 p.m. Eastern and check it out. You can hear it at DC Radio 96.3 HD4. You can hear it online, dcradio.gov. You can check it out at TuneIn Radio. You can ask Alexa to tune in <laughs> check it out. Or you can, or you can uh, check out the app for iPhone and Android to check it out. But it's a wonderful show. Thank you so much. That was that was great. <laughs> Someone advocating for me. That's wonderful. And there you have it, folks. I'm going to again thank Max Myrick for coming on uh, to the podcast and um, really, really giving us that that history, sharing with us. Um, and I'm Rob Lee, saying that there's art, culture, and community in and around your neck of the woods. You've just got to look for it. 